Welcome back to the Symposium's F1 pod. We're back here to review the Emilia-Romana Grand Prix. What an eventful one it was. I'm delighted to be joined today by Zach, Sachin and Ash. I'm, I would usually ask how you were doing, Ash, but you, over the past 24 hours, have uh, have been quite through the emotional roller coaster with all this football stuff, which we will talk about later on this week. Cheeky plug for the football pod. Um, I think we should just jump straight into the race for normality's sake. Um, qualifying was, you know, it was interesting, but there's too much to cover in the race. Let's So let's get straight into it. I think that's um, what, Lawrence, I think that's what the people want to hear about as well. The people want to hear about Sunday, about, they want to hear about the race, they don't want to hear about about um, qualifying. Yeah, qualifying, you know, boring, you know. Oh, Hamilton on pole, you know, who cares, right? Anyway, so we, we get to the grid. There's a bit of rain, you know, a bit of spiciness. Two Red Bulls behind the, the Mercedes. How did it pan out, Sachin? Well, I think a bit of rain is a bit of an understatement. Um, well, we had the two the two Red Bulls behind Hamilton, and off the line, the Stappen gets a very good start, and as does Perez, and Hamilton tries to cover up Perez in doing so. Leaves a nice gap up the inside for Verstappen to roar through up the inside into turn one. Hamilton tries to hang it out around the outside, but that is an ill-judged move. Goes over the curbs, damages his front wing a bit, and that's the turn one done of lap one. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think Hamilton, a a little piece of his uh, front wing got chipped off, as well as potentially some floor damage, which might have impacted him going on later into the race. I read somewhere that Verstappen got a bit of an advantage by starting in second gear. So, um, no, that's is bullshit. It, that's is it bullshit? bullshit. <laughs> Hamilton started in second gear as well, so it's not an advantage if they're both starting in second gear. All right, fair. But I, think, but... <laughs> I think the main point from that was in Turkey last year, Verstappen had a horrendous start because he decided to start in first gear and everybody around him was in second, started in second gear. So the fact that he started in second gear yesterday was something he's obviously learned right so from. he learned from before and he's gone to second gear but Zach, interestingly the... Perez did start in first gear I, I watched him on board he did start in first Perez started in first gear and he still got a half decent start so maybe it wasn't that much of a factor in the end <laughs> but you know Zach what is the purpose of starting in second gear for those who don't know well it's, it, it makes it easy to pull away it, it has uh well I couldn't tell you too much about the mechanics of it, but from a driving point of view, it makes it a lot easier to keep the power under control. Mm. Um, so it's 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 a, a clever way of doing things as well, because you're not going to spin the wheels up as well as much if, when you're doing the gear change, because you've not got to change from first to second. Um, but I mean, yeah, I can't tell you from the driving side, not so much from the uh, from the, the sort of the engineering mechanical side. Yeah, it's just all I know from like F1 games is if you you know keep the revs hot, uh, revs low then you reduce wheel spin coming out of slow speeds. So that's that's why you want to start in a higher gear in you're wet conditions. Um, you're taught that in your ordinary driving test as well, from my memory. Yeah, Please. that's exactly. Well, um, I mean, I drive an automatic now, so it doesn't make a difference. And I have traction control. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, we've seen Red Bulls uh, over many years actually have poor starts and just get swamped. Um, even Verstappen himself. So this was a nice change for him. And he managed to... Um, quite crucially, um, to carry on talking about the race, pushed Hamilton uh, to the side onto the curbs as he overtook him in turn one. Yeah. And 
you know that that because this track i mean i wrote in 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 our notes for this i i added on that that um we should we should talk about high Imola being an old track with gravel and curbs you know that's something that that should be should be supported by fans that's something that should be recognized because it produces exciting outcomes and we'll get into some of those outcomes but the first one we saw was hamilton being pushed onto the curb by verstappen and therefore suffering damage to his car um and you know that had a later impact on the race now it wasn't an illegal move by by verstappen we saw um since austria i think 2019 that the stewards have taken a uh, a more laid-back approach to regulating overtakes, and that's obviously nice to see if you want to have hard, some hard racing, as in, I think that was between Leclerc and Verstappen. Um, and since then, we've we've had some some exciting racing, and people have have dominated the road and pushed cars off, and and you know that's been acceptable, and therefore you know Verstappen didn't break any rules. But the point is basically that the fact that these curbs actually existed as real curbs and weren't just painted on like we sometimes see in other tracks, which are used for bikes and loads of other series meant that actually the race became more exciting and drivers had far less room for error and running wide. Yep, and as we saw later in the race, you know, that had a huge impact on, on you know, the ultimate result. And we did see a lot of, you know, driver mistakes throughout the race, not to, but to, not to concentrate too much on it now because we'll definitely cover it later, but the fact that there was gravel on the outside, like there's like no room for error. There's no, you know, Russia, which is the archetypal example of just forgiving runoff. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. I thought, it was a, I thought it was a good race. What do we think of the first, the first, you know, corner manoeuvre from, from, how, uh, from Verstappen, Zach? Do you think it was, it was like verging on the edge of, you know, what's acceptable driving? No, I thought it was within the rules, um, but to be honest, I wouldn't have done it just simply because of the risk of damage to your own car. I mean, Verstappen had the faster car, so is it really worth taking the risk of, of having an accident when you're already in the favourable position on the racetrack? Uh, but that's Max's style, so that's probably not a surprise. It wasn't it wasn't wrong. Um, it could have ended badly had he squeezed him a bit too much and had, uh, had Lewis has completely lost control, um, but he got away with it, so... It, probably doesn't need to be worried about too much by anybody on the Red Bull side or on the on the FIA side either. Yeah, and once Verstappen got the lead, he didn't relinquish it for for the whole race in the end. Um he just raced away in those he's just so good in those conditions, isn't he, Satchin? Like just so much faster than everyone else. I know Hamilton had damage, but it was just astonishing. I mean this is what happens when you have a, a driver and car combination which are you know, a fast driver and a fast car who, you know, they understand each other. They had like a, you know, Max talks to the car, the car talks to Max. You know, when he is when, you, when you have that combination, it, it's especially in wet conditions where, you know, you're having to rely on all your sensors to understand where the grip is. It's it's almost it's you can't beat that combination in the wet, and you know, Max is able to do it, Hamilton's able to do it, and a few other drivers on their day. Jensen Button, back in the day, had the finest of touches in, in the wet, as did Shumi. So, yeah, it's uh, Max in the wet is uh, the only person who can come close to Lewis, which is a good thing for the sport. I disagree, actually. I disagree about, about how good Max is in the wet. I think science is actually particularly good in the wet. We saw that last in the F1 Drive to Survive documentary. Um, and I think the Verstappen isn't actually particularly 
particularly good in the wet, actually, in my opinion. Bruh, 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 I'm going to have to stop Hang on, hang on. Relative to how good he is compared to the rest of the grid in the dry, he's, like, merely, like, better than average in the wet, but he's not, like, leading the grid in wet as he is in other areas of his of his repertoire. I think that, frankly, the fact that he pulled away so much near the end as the track was drying was kind of telling in that. And and I think that the fact that it was actually a large surprise to people that he performed so well in changeable conditions, I think shows what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that he's bad in the wet at all. He's just not as good in the wet as he is in the dry compared to the rest of the grid. Can I just refer you to the 2018, sorry, the 2016 Brazilian Grand Prix? Uh, it's Science Crash Earth in the Grand Prix, if I remember. <laughs> that, that, that was... I think that was the race where everyone in the F1 world just stood up and thought, you know, this is a truly like, you know, generational talent. That that 2016 Brazilian Grand Prix. I think he, yeah, it's it was just to think he's already been there five years. I know, but I think Verstappen is probably, in terms of feel, I think he ha- he, he probably has the best work where the pace on the grid. I think. I think Hamilton's a close second, and behind that, you know, you have Leclerc and Sainz. And you I just think get with Verstappen, his only weakness in the wet, and I think we saw it this weekend as well, is when in the wet he's fine, but when it comes to that crossover period, he always seems very unsure of when it is. Mm. We, saw it, we saw his radio at the, you know, at the weekend where he was, he was questioning and very much relying on the team more so to tell him when the crossover was. While with, with Hamilton and Barton and Schumacher, they, they knew from the track conditions it's time to drive. And I think Max, yeah, that's I like something that. that Max hasn't really got in his arsenal just yet. Not looks like he, he can't learn it. I, I mean, Hamilton was, again, when he first joined, he didn't really have that. He was great in the wet. But when those drying conditions, didn't really know when the crossover was. It took him a few in, years to develop Wasn't it, it in Hungary? I think maybe wrong Hungary last year when he sort of lost control. Who Verstappen or? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was on the formation lap. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and that that kind of that kind of sort of is scarred, not scarred, but that has coloured my view of his ability in the rain. If I'm honest, as mm-hmm. in, if, especially if you're comparing it to Hamilton, who's pretty peerless. Um, well, we'll see <laughs> today. The <laughs> rarity um, of that says it all, Lawrence. I, I, think, I, think, I think when you're driving in the wet, everybody's going to make mistakes because you don't. It's not. It's not every time you go around a lap. It's different grip conditions. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to make mistakes, and it's all about okay. The gr- the great drivers, when they make a mistake, they're able to come back from it. You know how many we have seen Schumacher bottle it in the rain. You know we saw him. Crashed at Spa in '98 behind was it Coulthard? He crashed into. So it's not like even the greats do make mistakes. Everybody's mm. human, but it's how, how you, I guess, off. I guess react and how you cope with it. Mm. Even in this race, Max almost drops it. Uh, you know, the safety car restart, but he managed to recover it just in time. So it's, one, yeah, he almost. And one thing you've got to remember as well with the changeable conditions is when you've got a, a racing car, even a go-kart, on a slick tyre on a wet track, if you move the steering wheel more than uh, 50 more than you know, 50% of, of the turning angle, you will just go straight and you will aquaplane. 
and that's the same in, in carts and, and cars. So that's a very difficult thing to judge on a circuit where a lot of these guys have not had a lot of Formula One experience as well. So we've got to you know, consider that. And okay, it applies to all the, all the tracks as well. But uh, you know, that's part of the thing where I think Max is probably going to be learning a bit more because he won't have had the experience with F1 cars combined with the experience of driving a uh, single seaters on on, uh, on on dry t- on, on dry tires on a wet track because it's, it's yeah. very difficult. I, I definitely take your point because I do remember just supporting your point, Sachin, like throughout the, the changeover period, there was a lot of hand-holding from his engineer, you know, like, oh, do you think the track is ready yet? For I was like, oh, I'm not sure, it, you know, it's drying, but it's not drying enough, you know, and maybe Hamilton is known, for example, in 2018 Germany for like knowing exactly when the changeover point is, timing that pit stop perfectly. So maybe that's something Verstappen has to develop. But I just remember... 2016 Brazil, Verstappen just taking completely different lines to everyone else in wet conditions and just showing that kind of feel for the track, which like made me very feel things I hadn't felt before. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that I think we were getting into that sort of changeover period um, and uh, Hamilton started to close Verstappen back in. Um, during that period in the pit stop and in the end uh it was Verstappen that sort of blinked first and went on to soft tyres and Hamilton thought he could go on the overcut Ashwin you're holding your hand yeah I was just going to say that you know that in terms of the overcuts obviously that depends on the Mercedes stop being being really good um and actually the maths if you looked at it if Mercedes produced a stop in the region of two and a half seconds they would have basically put Lewis out bang in front of Verstappen and you probably would have fancied him in and around um even though Imola is hard to overtake yeah but ended up like screwing it up and ended up taking four seconds which is kind of what we we're going to get to and I think my point that I just wanted to make uh before we brought others in was that it's always really kind of remarkable how F1 teams don't recognize how different teams react slightly differently to specific incidences in that Red Bull are easily easily the fastest pitting team on the grid they regularly pit cars in 1.9 seconds i think the fastest i've seen them do, seen them do is 1.8 or something ridiculous whereas mercedes realistically know they often take 2.9 2.5 bottas did a 2.2 but high high two seconds is their usual area so the fact that they didn't really account for that um well maybe they did but it didn't look like they did quite surprised me in that you're always pushing it, unless you have a serious pace advantage on track, you're always pushing it with trying to over or undercut a Red Bull crew. I thought that Mercedes acted in quite a hubristic manner there, and they kind of got what they deserved in the fact that their their stop was 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 probably one and a half seconds too slow. Well, I, I think, okay, so going on to just explaining briefly what happened, lap 26, Verstappen pits for medium tyres, um, and Hamilton stays out in all, because he thinks he can go faster on the inters for a lap. So the changeover period is about one or two laps. So basically Hamilton has one lap to just absolutely blitz it, right? It's a bit of a gamble because the margin isn't that that sort of... There's not that much room for error. He's got and one as, lap. And in. as we've kind of spoken already about, Inla's a difficult place to overtake. So he kind of has to take that gamble. And he's not like he's got anything from behind to really worry about. Yeah. So, you know, going a lap longer on the Inters was probably the better move to do. Yeah, the strategy I mean, he can't, was, he was, can't really yeah. go on for another lap on yeah. the Inters. 
because then Verstappen's going to be faster anyways. He was banking um, on Verstappen's medium tyres not being warm yet and Verstappen having to feel the track. The issue exactly. in the end, I think the lap was fine. Um, I, the issue in the end was Hamilton was quite slow into the pits, slowing down. No, I, and, think, I think the issue was it was a slow, slow stop. And but, a slow stop. But they had to try something. If You don't know. Mercedes, they may have done a, a 2.2 stop like they did with Bottas. Hamilton would have come out in front. In the end, they did a, a four-second stop. Hamilton, that is down to Hamilton being cautious coming into the box to not do a Lance Stroll from last year. Who knows? But, you know, they had to take the gamble. And, I mean, I agree with Ash that Mercedes do need to get quicker at their pit stops because, you know, now you're in a proper fight with Red Bull while it's it for this season. You need those pit stops to go well. You're going to perform undercuts and overcuts, so... You know, uh, maybe I'm being harsh. Like, Mercedes have it in them. The Bottas stop was 2.2, as I say, but that seems you know, less of the norm, whereas you regularly see Red Bull beating the two-second mark in their stops, whatever they're doing, they're particularly good at them. And in a close season, as we say, where track position is really important, um, especially at a track like Imola, um, you know, Mercedes perhaps should have taken that more into consideration. But yeah, I mean, Lawrence, explain what happened after when they came out, because that was obviously intriguing, because Hamilton ended up behind Verstappen. I mean, it was more than intriguing. (laughs) It was absolutely crazy. Um, I think I think after after that first round of pit stop, because it was around the 26 lap mark with about 20 something laps to go, those medium tyres that Hamilton and Verstappen put on would get to the end. And as we said, because of the lack of overtaking, we thought it'd be a you know you know it would just be quite a boring race to the flag, you know, not much else going on. But Imola always throws up a surprise, and we had two crazy laps uh, on lap 31 and lap 32. Two separate incidents that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig right into, guys. I think the first one, um, the first one didn't have as much impact on the race at at the end, but at the time it was huge. Hamilton making a rare mistake uh, whilst trying to lap George Russell. Uh, Zach, why don't you take us through this this incident over here? Um, blue flags, blue flags. Yeah, I know it's crazy. You almost would expect Sebastian Vettel to be in this incident, given how many blue flags were being referred to. Um, yeah, so uh, Russell was on the right-hand side of the circuit, which was the racing line and the dry line. Uh, Lewis was trying to lap Russell uh, and went to the inside, so to the left-hand side, onto the wet patch. And then he just lost the rear because it was it was slippery. There's, there's no grip out there. Your tyres will also cool down on the water. And he just slid off straight into the gravel trap. Uh, knocked the uh, the right hand side of his front wing, I think it was, and then had to reverse out of the uh, out of the gravel trap. Um, yeah, Rare to see a not, three point turn smooth. on a on a racetrack. It, you you kind of lose some time if you if you have to do that. Yeah, if you yeah if you do that, it's not not exactly the fastest way around the racetrack for sure. Um, it was a bit unlucky though actually because yeah you know, he actually had controlled sort of the, the steering input going into the corner fine. It was the rear. It was when he, when he lit the rears up a bit on the rear. That's what sent it round. So he was very unlucky there, but I mean, you can call into question as well from that incident, should Russell have got on to the wet line for Hamilton uh, or should he have let him go in a different part of the circuit? I mean, it's a slightly, you know, I think it's up for debate. I don't know what, what the others think, but I mean, I think Russell should have let him go in after that corner. That was a very difficult area to let someone go. Well, you could mm-hmm. arguably say that Russell didn't let him go. Russell stayed on the dry line. Hamilton, I think, he could see Verstappen 
and he could see the traffic Verstappen was stuck in and thought, ah, if I get through this traffic quicker, I can close the gap onto Verstappen. And he, he risked the move up the inside of Tosa on, on Russell, and it, he obviously he, he completely misjudged it, lost the rear. Actually, he managed to stop it from going into the barrier initially. Yeah, then, very impressive. Yeah. And then he decided to, okay, I'm going to just put some throttle on and try and spin it around. There wasn't too much of a gap between the barrier and his front wing. Then I think midway in that decision realized if he started spinning up the rears, he'd probably dig himself into the gravel. So he went just a tiny bit forward, broke his front wing and realized he had, he had to somehow find reverse on a Formula One car and managed to get get it out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that bit was slightly underrated. He and a Brundle commentator uh, commented on it in the commentary when he was explaining Hamilton was extracting himself from the gravel. Basically, the car became, I think, front wheel steering only, and he had to somehow operate it and keep the engine running. And I think that's equally underrated, along with when Perez, by himself, restarted his car from the pit lane in uh, Bahrain. Those sort of technical issues are not things that often that teams often go through in much detail and drivers have to rely on their own ingenuity there. Uh, Perez from a tech point of view and Hamilton from a pure, you know, driving ability point of view. And it, it really shows as well, kind of Hamilton is a sort of old school proficient driver that's really, I think, understands how the car works in a similar kind of Jim Clark mould. He knew precisely what to do and why the wheels weren't, why the back wheels weren't moving and the front wheels were. And I think that shows a deeper understanding behind the car that you would expect from the super driver, drive, the superstar drivers you encounter in F1 these days. I mean, at least he didn't have to like ask the marshals to push the car back on the track like he did all those years ago. Um, but yeah, I, Hamilton lost so much time because he had to get out of the gravel and uh, pit stop because, as Sachin said, he broke his front ring, uh, wing, which meant that he ended up a lap behind Verstappen um, after being second. Um, and it kind of looked like his race was over. But then the superhero that is George Russell came back to save the day <laughs> and absolutely destroyed his and Valtteri Bottas's race going into turn one. This was the incident of the weekend. Um, a very fiery exchange after the race. Um, we, we're going to, we're going to have sides in this, in this argument. I'm going to put my neck out there and say that, and by the way, guys, if you don't have the incident up on YouTube or something, you really should while we while we talk about it, because, yeah, I'm, it's not clear whose fault it is. But I'm I'm going to say Russell, in my opinion. I'll let you guys have your little debate first and then and then and then we'll uh, we'll decide as a pod who was at fault. Do you, uh, think, Bottas the, do you think that Bottas thought that Russell was one of his critics? <laughs> Just fuck off. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who who wants to start? Who wants to start? Go on, Zach. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, well, I, I think I agree with uh, with Toto Wolf when he said sixty forty. Um, although I'm going to go a little bit further further than that and say sixty forty the fault of Bottas, which is a little bit unusual because normally you don't you wouldn't say the driver in front is the person at fault. But I have two reasons why. Uh, the first is the little uh, little steering input he made in the, in, in the, for the jolt in the corner. Uh, uh, those sorts of speeds, that is a, it looks a lot bigger than it really is, and you've, you've not got a huge amount of time to react. Um, so I, I think on that area, Valtteri does have to take responsibility because that was the trigger 
It wasn't the DRS. It wasn't the the, the wet weather that was the, the the first trigger. It was actually the jolt that Valtteri did in, in his steering input. And I'd also blame Valtteri because he is in a Mercedes about to be overtaken by a Williams. If he had been faster throughout the whole weekend, he would not have been in the position where he would have been taken off by a Williams. So, to be honest, I know that's a bit unfair because it doesn't actually relate so much to the incident itself. But I would say just for the fact that Valtteri did not have the pace to keep a Williams behind him is punishment enough. And, and I think is why he is at fault for that, because he shouldn't be there. Are you saying that he isn't doing his job properly? <laughs> yes, actually, pretty much. Yeah, it, it was poor. It was just really poor all weekend. I'm, so. I'm going to offer the counter, OK? I'm going to offer the counter because we have to have devil's advocate, right? I think that Russell, as the overtaking car, has to has to share some of the blame. And and the way I'm apportioning the blame is 50% Russell, 40% Bottas, and 10% the track. Yeah. I think, first no, of all, with the track, the fact that it was really narrow for these really wide F1 cars meant that it's very difficult in order to like, sort of judge how much space to give. And also the fact that there's a little kink at the end of the straight it's, it's, it seems kind of dangerous. It's very difficult you know, for, to sort of judge where you should be uh, placing your car. So I think the track has to share some of the blame. I think with Russell, he should have been more careful, more mindful of the situation he was in. He was faster than Bottas, right? He could have waited another lap and he was overtaking the team which he wants to join next year. So you got you got to allow more room. And the mm. speed he was going... With the DRS out, his car was always going to be unstable. With the drying track as well, because there's wet patches everywhere, I think he should have been more careful trying to overtake Bottas. And I think Total Wolf said as much. Um, so that's I why I think it's George I think Russell's Bottas needs to be more careful there. If you have a look at Bottas, he stays on the dry line and he lets Russell go on the outside. Now, the way, because of the track, now, I'm not going to say 10% the track, because these drivers have driven 30 laps of the same track already by this point. They should know the track. It's not the track's fault. <laughs> it's either one of the two drivers' fault. But the dry line, essentially, it cuts across the track, and it, it essentially it goes from the left side to the right side of the track. So Bottas is staying on this dry line, mainly because he sees there's a Williams behind him, knows that, okay, if this Williams gets past, I don't want to get my tyres on the wet stuff, I don't want, you know, it's not the nicest thing. He's already very slow, and he doesn't want to make himself even slower by putting himself on the on the wet stuff. So he stays on the dry line, lets Russell go around the outside. And he just, just he leaves enough room, right? He leaves a, a car's wets on the outside, there's plenty of room on the inside. But you just think that you have a car with DRS coming around your outside, and you've just left him enough room. You're asking George Russell to literally thread the eye of a needle there. And, like, that's a risk Bottas has taken in just not giving him, you know, not giving him enough room. He's well, giving him enough room, but not giving him, you know, a degree of error in there. And this time around, unfortunately, Russell got it slightly wrong, went a bit too wide, and they both paid the price for it. You know, it's, it is a racing incident at the end of the day, I think we can all agree, yeah. where the, yeah. where the yeah. blame is apportioned. In the end, I think it is more or less 50-50. I don't agree with Toto's 60-40 malarkey. It is 50-50. Bottas didn't, didn't leave enough margin of error, and Russell made the, the error. 
essentially, because he had nothing too much too much to to deal with, essentially. I think I'd say I agree with Lawrence to some extent. So, ten percent might be the conditions to the extent, and then forty-five, forty-five either side, because obviously the grass was was wet, um, and that meant that Russell would have skidded when he otherwise wouldn't have ordinarily. You'd assume, and um, also I think I don't I don't think Lawrence is correct when he says that you know the track's somewhat dangerous with that kink in it. I think it's just a very it's just a classic track and. And I don't think that's inherently a dangerous dangerous part of it. And I don't think that any corners you really get in any Formula One track in the world are particularly dangerous. Maybe you could argue Radion is the most dangerous track in the calendar due to the speeds they take or the Parabolica at Monza. Um, I don't think this kink is particularly dangerous by those standards anyway. Um, and I think, you know, if you blame the conditions, it should probably just be more down to the weather. Um, as, as Sachin said, the fact that they had done, you know, three days of, of running on this track means that they should probably be used to the whip and stuff. And I don't think it's helpful to apportion the blame on either driver other than saying 50-50, because as uh, Zach said, Bottas shouldn't have been there. And then as Sachin said about Russell, you know, Russell is essentially trying to drive in and, and maintain himself on the track when Bottas legitimately as the car in front was asserting himself on the racing line. Um, but it just comes down to the challenges you get with a changeable track where, as you saw with Hamilton, if you move off the racing line, you're in an entirely different world. And, um, you know, I think that's what makes this sort of conditions great viewing. Yeah, I think I would agree. I think that um, I think that the thing that kind of makes me more sympathetic towards Bottas is the fact that in the replay, you can see that just before, as George Russell makes the move around the outside, Bottas does... You know, he does move the steering wheel left. He goes like, oh, he clearly sees Russell and then moves yeah, to give him I a bit think that space. he's done that because he's realised that he maybe could leave a little bit more room. I think he's moved left, realising I should probably leave Russell a bit more room than that. And that's why he's jinked left. And then, but by that time, it's already too late. Russell's already halfway alongside and made his mistake, got on the grass mm. and already pirouetting into him. Mm. Zach, you had your hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to say, just, I think we just need to just remember as well, actually, that we can talk about blame and what have you, but they were very lucky, both of them, to actually get out of that okay. When you consider the halo did its job brilliantly, and also I mean, we all know who died at Tamborello uh, you know, at that very corner, but okay, it's a bit, it's got a different profile now. So uh, I think there, there was a, an interesting debate about who to apportion for blame and if, if blame can even be apportioned. But I think we do just need to keep some... Uh, some sort of perspective on on this argument that actually both are very lucky that they got out of the cars and both cars in terms of their safety features did their jobs absolutely uh, tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, and as as Sachin said in the chat, you know that is why Tamburello is now a chicane. <laughs> uh, they take less speed than they would have in pre nineteen ninety four. Rubens didn't Rubens um, in practice in 94, mount the wall at Tamburello. I don't think it's at Tamburello. He definitely was... swallowed his tongue at some point that weekend. <laughs> um, it was it was coming out of the chicane where Sonoda crashed, wasn't it? Yeah, I think oh, it was the chicane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that was... Uh, it had I mean, ramifications guys, after the race. Yeah, what do you Very guys calm, think, yeah. though, of, uh, I guess, Russell afterwards mm, yeah. giving it all to, yeah. to Bottas? I thought that was very out of character for him. 
I think it was just uh, maybe Russell had it in his mind about that specific part of the track and what could have what could have happened but didn't happen. And mm-hmm. in those situations, he probably had mortality strong in his mind. I'm sorry to say, um, because it was in all of our minds, and um, you you react in, in 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 however you react in different ways. Like he didn't start a fight or whatever, as you've sometimes seen over the years in Formula One. But he you know got in Bottas's face. I don't see there's that much wrong with that. To be honest, mm-hmm. I think actually it might be nice to see that more. Yeah, but I like, think Russell was comments after the race. I'd say, I what, think that um, the way that Russell sort of, uh, you know, he he sort of suggested that Bottas defended in a more aggressive manner because it was Russell and because Russell is challenging for uh, that Mercedes seat. I think that sort of also rubbed Toto Wolf up the wrong way. The response from Toto being, "That is bullshit." Um, I think that, yeah, I think George Russell knows that this year is a crunch year for him in terms of proving himself to the Mercedes team, and that crash cannot have helped his chances. No, it, it really it really can't have. I mean, it was just, it was a bit childish, really. It was a bit, um, a bit over the top. What was interesting, though, is there was an article on F1.com, I think it was published about two hours ago, um, and George Russell was saying, uh, should I have reacted how I did afterwards in the heat of the moment? Probably not know. So he probably knows that as well, that deep down that was not a good idea. Well, it is worth noting that on the F1 website, they say George Russell Mercedes. So who knows? Maybe, maybe that's going to inadvertently fuel some uh, some tension again. Well, you know, Did the you... adrenaline's going, I guess, still yeah. when he just come out of the car. But like, if you're Bottas, you could hear in the radio, like he seemed pretty winded by that. And the oh, next thing yeah. you know, you have you have a very tall British man shouting something at you. You can't hear him. Of course, you're going to flick the finger at him and tell him to go away. But yeah, I think it's not very un-Mercedes-like as well. I feel like it's it's like not just out of character for Russell, but it's very like unprofessional from a Mercedes standpoint to go and pick a fight with with a compatriot with, with a colleague. It's not you know you're not fucking Max Verstappen going to give Ocon one around the neck, are you? So yeah, no, I agree. I. This is kind of not that relevant, but um, my friend was watching. My friend who doesn't like F1 at all, but he just watched the Drive to Survive series because he was bored. He wanted to watch something on Netflix, and he and he said to me like, "I have so much respect for Toto Wolf because he's like the Terminator. He's so efficient. He's like a robot sent in to, you know, like dominate F1. And like, it's just kind of funny that this year now the Mercedes are kind of like cracking." You, you see this side of Total Wolf, which is kind of short and kind of, you know, you know the cracks are appearing in the Mercedes robot. You know what I'm saying? Um, that Did you see that little joke that Wolf made, Total Wolf made after the race? He was like, if George Russell does that anymore, then I'm going to demote him to the Renault Clio Cup series. <laughs> <laughs> which I think, for those of you that are driving in the Renault Clio Cup, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, I think I think the Renault Clio Cup uh, Twitter page actually put on on uh, on Twitter a copy of their entry form with number sixty three George Russell ready for Toto Wolff to sign. So, I mean, they definitely loved it and played into it. No, I, mean, I think the worst part of that for Bottas. Well, there are two bad bits of this for Bottas. The first is that um, he probably had the biggest entanglement of his career with the person that's going to replace him. And the second bit is the red flag which resulted was so helpful to Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, 
the this caused the red flag because um if you've seen the incident debris. the debris was humongous um all just scattered across turn one um and yeah what happens at red flag the race is suspended and um the un the lapped cars get to unlap themselves so thankfully hamilton only lost like seven places uh in that whole melee which meant that we had a you know a shootout to the finish a race reset um and all of those drivers that you know were just like 40 seconds behind verstappen now thought they had a chance of victory so you had Verstappen and then you had Lando Norris and then Leclerc and Sainz you know they were all battling in there um and Hamilton down in ninth uh so yeah it was set up for a great finish um McLaren pulled off a bit of a blinder I thought Zach uh putting uh, the, the you know the McLaren drivers on softs instead of mediums yeah that was a a very clever strategy choice uh, given the timings in the race and what have you so I think that was that was very sensible from them because they just knew, right, we have an opportunity for podium here. One Merck is out. The Red Bull was nowhere, really. He was, you know, they were not really going to get involved in that. We can get the Ferrari if, we've, if we're fast enough. And then if Hamilton comes up, we've got the, the grippy enough tyres to actually hold them up for a couple of laps, even if that's all we can do. So they did a really good job. Uh, and, and Lando drove very well as well. I mean, at one point, you, you did wonder, could he actually have been challenging Verstappen? I mean, OK, it went away fairly quickly but there was a period of time when it didn't seem impossible so yeah it's a very very good call from McLaren yep Hamilton made his way through the field eventually passing Lando Norris after a spirited defense to make um two British drivers on the podium and uh, Ashwin you must be very happy you're pumping your yep. fist there is it no it was good it was brilliant the stat was 700 British podiums yep. in F1 yep 700 British podium finishes uh, to go with Hamilton. Did he have the 300th British win last week? So that's great stuff to see. First time, I think, since 2012, China, that they've had two British drivers on the podium. Um, brilliant from Norris. I was sad a bit that he didn't hold on to second, but it was inevitable that Hamilton would get past eventually. And probably, if you're a Hamilton fan or a British racing fan, probably Hamilton going past is for the greater good because you know he's fighting Verstappen in the long-term championship battle, whereas... Norris is is mostly fighting Charles Leclerc, you'd say. Um, so it was good that Norris managed to retain the podium. And I, I think it was very impressive the way that he defended Hamilton for two or three laps, parked the car in the middle of the track. Hamilton could not get past until, you know, he had to actually narrow the gap three or four tenths below the DRS threshold to actually get close enough to Norris. I know Imola is a hard track to overtake, but I was really enthused by the skill Norris showed there. And even more, actually, than the skill in defending Hamilton, which is ultimately futile. The skill in actually maintaining a gap to Leclerc after that was deeply impressive. Often in these conditions, you see a driver, Norris is struggling with a lot of mechanical issues, actually, which hasn't been spoken about enough. But often when you see a driver lose a space after a spirited battle, they end up losing one or two more, and they they end up slowing down drastically after, you know, the kind of the the, the bottle top opens and, and everything just flows out after a bottleneck. And, um, you know, in, in that situation, I was very impressed with Norris keeping a big gap to Charles Leclerc, keeping a 1.5 to two second gap until the end. And I thought that was even more impressive, actually, than um, that, than actually defending Hamilton for those laps. So, yeah, it was a really, really good performance. I'm really happy with how McLaren are doing. And Hamilton seemed, seemed honestly happy as well, which was lovely to see. Um, but Daniel Ricciardo, what are you doing? 
get out of my team. <laughs> yeah, Ricardo finished a very understated sixth place, which he was kind of disappointed with because now Norris, you know, did so well to get a podium. But I think Ricardo's still integrating into that team. Um, so I mean, it, I, I think it shows two things. I mean, number one, McLaren was slower than Ferrari this weekend. I think in the corners, in the high-speed corners at Imola, Ferrari were doing much better than Low McLaren. speed as well. Yeah, and the low speed. But down the straight at Imola, the Mercedes power unit in that McLaren kept it, kept Lando ahead. You know, Lando was did very well. This is the second point I should make. Lando, as a driver as a whole, I think has been severely underrated the past two years, in, which is, I guess, if you compare him to science, he hasn't performed too well. But I guess with with Lando, his his peaks in performance have really been outstanding moments. And, you know, his lap in qualifying was almost the perfect lap. And arguably you could say it was perfect if you if you don't read really like want to see track limits. Um but <laughs> You can't mention track limits after last <laughs> week. We just no. It's too much of a trigger topic. Yeah, so I think that I think Lando's I think this this performance shows Lando's a bit underrated. And thirdly, I think it also highlights from Daniel Ricciardo's standpoint that that he still has a lot to learn. And, you know, when you're in a car where you don't really understand it and understand how to put temperatures in the tyres, that really comes to fruition when you have a wet track and you really need that tyre temperature. And if you don't have the tyres in the right window, you're going to be slower. While, you know, Norris, he's had experience in that car racing in the wet. He knows how to get the tyres in temperature using this McLaren car and was able to perform more or less the perfect race from his, from his standpoint. Before Zach comes in, is it is it just more that Sainz and Leclerc and Norris are better than Ricardo? Well, we know Sainz is pretty good when you compare him to Verstappen, and we always knew Leclerc was pretty good. So they may all be in a similar ballpark. I mean, Ricardo really not... He's managed to match Verstappen just about when they were at Red Bull together. And then his other teammates have been pretty mediocre in, in Ocon and Hulkenberg. So I guess this is the first competition that he's really had since uh, he left Red Bull. I think it's probably a bit too early to say where he is, in, considering he's only done two races. I think it's a bit too early to try and make those judgments. What I will say about Ricardo, and I, I had a look because I was thinking, you know, Ricardo's been at, you know, four different teams now. And, you know, he, he seems to be having a little bit of a problem adapting to the car. He hasn't really had this before. It, when he started at Renault, when he started at Red Bull, he hit the ground running every time. And I think this is a different experience for Ricardo that suddenly he's going to have to adapt to. Because usually he just destroys his teammates. Um, first year in the car, the staffing excluded. Well, I think you, you've got to be careful with that, though, because you've got to remember that until this year, I think Ricardo had spent the last, what, six seasons in Renault Power because he left Red Bull before they went to Honda. So, you know, in terms of understanding all the engine modes and, and how that affects the drivability, he would have only had a, a very limited amount of time to actually get used to that. I mean, even if we consider... In his Renault days, it was still the same power unit. It might not have been the same car, so it's not exactly the same, but you still have a, a degree of understanding that stays the same. 
and you've got to you've got to keep that in mind I think because it does have an effect especially when you consider that he only had a couple of days of preseason testing and he's only had one race so you put that together combine that with the fact that the preseason testing and the first race were at the same venue so he's not had experience on different types of track and different conditions yet it's probably not at all surprising I think as I just to go back to what Sachin was saying about uh, the, the Ferrari pace compared to McLaren uh, I think that's a, that's a very good point. But I think we've also got to remember that a reason for that is probably also to do with the development tokens over the off-season. Because uh, if I remember rightly, McLaren used basically all of them on the integration of the Mercedes power unit, whereas Ferrari didn't have to do that. They could they, had, they changed the power unit, but they changed other aspects of the car as well. So you could almost argue that actually the fact that McLaren uh, showed the pace they did with what is by and large actually a chassis that's pretty much a year out of date with the exception of the engine integration it's pretty impressive actually mm, very very good point zach um one person we haven't mentioned at all or very little of is sergio perez who started second but ended up 11th he had a very very messy race at ash he had a 10 second time penalty for an infringement under the safety car and then he completely dropped it despite being in a very good position for a podium um some uh, after the safety the red car the red flag restart so yeah not good i mean albon back <laughs> <laughs> no i wouldn't go that far to the extent that um perez had a brilliant qualifying and brilliant last race um both of which i don't think albon been able to do at least to the same extent but there were just stupid driver errors on the day um I mean, the reason, I mean, binning it was just a shame because he was in such a good strategic position. He was probably behind Norris when you netted out his penalty. But nevertheless, he was in the mix and Red Bull could have used him to really, really force Hamilton in, into a bad place. Um, and again, both teams suffered by, um, well, Red Bull specifically suffered again by not having two cars around Hamilton. Um, and I think it's just a shame because he had a good opportunity here starting high up on the grid, starting ahead of Verstappen um, to actually make a mark on the race and actually finish higher than Verstappen for once and justify some of his, you know, justify his position against some of his critics and actually put the pressure on Verstappen slightly and force Red Bull to take him more seriously, perhaps as a parity driver to Verstappen rather than a one or two setup. And, you know, he, he failed in executing that job. And it's just a shame, really. I mean, I, Perez can make these mistakes in a lesser car, let's say. And no one really bats an eyelid. You know, that's where you are anyway. You're playing around in the midfield, whatever. But when you do it in a Red Bull, a Red Bull position that you obtained in a in a relatively controversial manner, then obviously you'll get scrutinised more. And Perez is a brilliant driver. None of us doubt that. But maybe he made errors in the past, which we didn't notice or pay attention to as much, which are now obviously gaining massive attention. Well, I think Perez as a, as a driver in the wet is pretty good. I mean... He did well in, in Istanbul last year and, you know, he almost won like, up against Alonso and Stepank in that what, 2012 in that breakout season. And that was a wet race as well. So I don't think Perez is particularly bad as a, as a racing driver in the wet. I think, again, his main issue was it's a new car. He, you know, his incidents were his first one was he outbraked himself into Piratella under the safety car. So that's him trying to get heat into the tyres and he just misjudges braking. And the second one, he's gone slightly offline. Again, which I think is just more just to try and get some more speed in the corner, more heat in the tyres. And, you know, he's still learning of how to 
get the car and the tyres to interact, as are all the drivers who have just changed teams. And it's going to take him time. And I think I think we saw that again in, in qualifying. You know, Max made a mistake. And you think that if Max didn't make that mistake, I think he would have been way ahead of Hamilton. His lap would have been. And Sergio was still just behind Hamilton. So I think that, that says, A, how fast that rebel really may be. We still don't really know because we've had a race where Red Bull were out manoeuvred by Mercedes and then we've had a, re- a, a wet race. So it's still, I guess, up in the air exactly on race pace what are the actual, what's the actual packing order. But I think, yeah, with, with Perez, it's just about give him, give him those five races he was being asking for and then we should probably make a judgment. But as an overall day, yeah, not the best for Perez. Mm-hmm. I saw this YouTube video the other day of Perez and the evolution of his driving style. If you watch clips from him from like 2012, it's so aggressive. Like the way, like he's constantly losing the back end. It, the way he drives the car is just completely on the edge the entire time. And then you compare it to him nowadays, he's much more relaxed and calm and probably explains why he's so good at conserving tires. So I feel like it's something quite interesting to watch just out of you know general like f1-ness like how Perez has adapted his driving style of the years maybe it's just experience or whatever and there's been a lot of comments about his driving style from his former team um so yeah pretty pretty interesting stuff um throughout the midfield I mean we're not going to cover it as much because of the the drama at the front but just a few things uh, I thought Pierre Gasly had a fantastic recovery drive because he started on the complete wrong tyre, the wet tyre, and he was dropping like an absolute stone, um, but managed to really fight his way back after the red flag. So that was a great race for him. Um, I Am I the only one who just didn't, like, I forgot that Alpine were even, like, a just a factor in this race. Like, I just, literally, they were just trundling. I know Alonso got a, a point in the end because of some some penalties uh, given after the end of the race. But, like, seriously, like, where the fuck it, are they? In honestly, I think that's probably more down to the, the TV director. They have they have been very much focused on, especially this race, the the, the midfield battle between McLaren and Ferrari at the front and Red Bull versus Mercedes. No one else really gets any much airtime in between that, except for the occasional Yuki Tsunoda. Yuki, you disappointed me, man. I thought you would. Oh, you know what? I'm blaming. Okay, Zach. Zach was the big Yuki Sonoda guy last year. He was like pumping that hype train, right? And I was fully for it. But he was the one providing details of his like super license points and all that. Remember? Yeah. And I'm not worried. I mean, he 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 had a great chance for points, and then he dropped it like on the first corner after the the restart. And I was like, oh god, why are you doing this to me? Oh, you're so likable, but ugh. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Mazepin didn't disappoint, by the way. Oh shit, I mentioned his name. He spanned at the end. <laughs> it, was, it was really, it was really funny because the That's commentators, yeah. the commentators, they just don't give a fuck about Mazepin. It was just like, oh yeah, yeah, Mazepin spun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, classic stuff. Didn't let us down. <laughs> um, no, I mean that was. Here's one thing I was, I asked you boys actually about Mazepin and Schumacher. It is the car, you know uncontrollable or you know are they just extremely inexperienced or is it both because 
the spins this time seemed a bit of driver error, as Zach explained how difficult it can be to drive in changeable conditions. But um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting debate because some people are saying, oh, you know, Mazepin's not ready for F1. He's unsafe. He put other drivers in danger or whatever other stuff of that of that vein. And obviously, it's interesting to debate whether that's on him or whether that's on the car or a mixture of both. That car does look god awful, to be honest. I think it was quite funny because I'm pretty sure at one point in the race, Schumacher had spun round and like was at the back of the grid. But then somehow like 10 laps later, he was 30 seconds ahead of Mazepin. So this <laughs> the has team is basically a joke at this I point. I don't think I don't think Mazepin's I think Mazepin is ready for Formula One. I think he's had enough experience in in Formula One machinery. He did loads and loads of tests with Mercedes driving their cars. And he he's done the he's done his Formula Two seasons and he's done enough seasons. I think it's just a matter of whether he's a good enough driver in all honesty and I think there's still open debate on that topic about that on one case he is pretty he's shown he could be pretty fast on another case he's shown to be pretty dangerous as well so um yeah it's that on the open but it should be noted however we're, we're not total hating on him that uh his earlier crash in the race was more down to a latifi we, we, we yeah. may want to say a 60 40 to latifi because we can um <laughs> but it's nuance uh, <laughs> it's nuance all right it's not indecision but that 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 kind of wrecked. I guess that kind of uh, sums up Williams's day, in terms of uh, a day when they probably should have got something out of it, and they completely effed it up. Both of them did. Yeah, that's pretty symptomatic of their past like eighteen months, really. Is they're just not taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, I'm going to give you weekly updates on this, but just to say that uh, at Mazepin's current spins per session rate. He will end up with a total number of spins of 92 um, for the year. So that is an improvement because he didn't spin during FP2, FP3 or qualifying. Hey, he so, did spin in FP, FP1. Yeah, right? he did. He spanned twice in FP1 yeah. and in the race. So it's an improvement on last weekend. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you guys think is going to happen first? Hamilton getting a century of wins or Mazepin getting a century of spins? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I mean, it, Hamilton's only what two off the century of wins, isn't he? Four off. Oh, is he four? Oh, uh, right, four. then that may be eight or seven. Nine. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big loser, isn't it? All of a sudden. I mean, with with Red Bull's pace, I'm not, I'm not putting out. Uh, it's not out of the question that Mazepin will will reach that fabled total beforehand. Um. Just to be clear, we're not rooting for Mazepin. I mean, we we hate him. So we're rooting against. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. We're completely. We hate. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Uh. But you know, he did. He did find the the checkered flag. So that that's something, I guess. Um, he found it. He didn't get there. He actually he had to find it. Cause he's never <laughs> never got that far before. Yeah. <laughs> he's like time to get wait, the vodka wait, out, boys. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. It's not. It's a flag, and it's not blue. What's going on? Or yellow. <laughs> Oh, no. all black and white. Anyway, um, we're gonna we're gonna have our nice. Oh, Yuki Tsunoda got a black and white flag, didn't he? Because he uh, he kept abusing track limits. Track limit. Do you yeah. think Do you think Valtteri Bottas will buy George Russell a Cuthbert or Colin the Caterpillar as a peace <laughs> offering 
subsequent <laughs> to their subsequent to their peaceful negotiations and truce following their following their crash. I don't well, think Bottas is that kind of guy. Well, he no, might, if, if, if he really wants not, to make it a peace offering, he has to be a colleague of Caterpillar, doesn't it? He hasn't yeah, the, you're right. He hasn't got the uh, mm. empathy or, or good nature to to give his mate or his his future his his replacement. George he Rush. might give him like a free pass to the finished spa that we saw in the Netflix I, documentary. Oh god, I like that. I, Either that, or he'll, or he'll he'll give um, George a new outfit comprising of a bowl of porridge that will be thrown <laughs> over him. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, maybe George Russell will buy um, will buy Valtteri Bottas a cuff, but the caterpillar, other caterpillars are available, as we have learnt in the last week, um, as a source of apology. If well, maybe that's admission of guilt, and it goes too I, far. I, I don't, I don't think he'll do that. I think he'll get um, he'll get Valtteri a copy of the Williams uh, driver manual for this car. Give it to oh. him and say, here you go, you're going to need it. Maybe maybe uh, George Russell will get will get Bottas a copy of the Wisden Cricketers Almanac, which came out this week. You know that'd be a good that'd be a good present. Are you, are you just mentioning cricket because you don't want to? <laughs> um, do you miss the cricket pod? Um, anyway, before we uh, preview the Portimao race, um, let's do our clown of the day, boys. Uh, there were quite a few because driver errors abound. I'm going to start my clown of the day with uh, one, Mister. David Croft, I'm sorry, mate. You yeah. had a poor day, um, and uh, he, he just kept getting driver names wrong. He was just like, "Oh, and it's Sergio." P- no, no, it's Max Verstappen. No, like, come on, man. I mean, it is difficult okay? to see when in the spray. Made mistakes, but Crofty can't make mistakes. Is that just bias from Lawrence? I think. <laughs> no, look. Okay, you guys know that I, I hark for the days of ITV. Um, Jonathan Ledgard. No, no, no. That that was that was a bit afterwards. Um, so I'm kind of biased, but you know, I'm not, I I think Crofty's kind of lost it a little bit, you know. Um, and also and also the the guy in, in charge of TV presentation, right? He needs an honourable mention. Like he kept giving the wrong penalties to people, <laughs> like Sergio Perez yeah. who had like a 10 second stop go penalty. He's just completely I mean, in wrong. general, the coverage was pretty pretty below standard this weekend. Yeah, yeah. average. FP1 had an absolute mare they did. They The first, what, 10 minutes there was no coverage? It's just yeah. Natalie Pinkham just talking about <laughs> things. So, oh, there's a spin. You can't see it, but this person has fun. <laughs> you can bet that it was Mazafin. <laughs> um, what, what do you guys think for clown of the day? I think Sonoda has to be in there because that car should have been higher. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. Gasly finished ahead of him. And Gasly was right at the back of the grid halfway through the race yeah. after his uh, strategic error. I think it should be Alex Albon. No, I mean, I think it should be... Um, no, it should maybe be... Vettel. Sergio Perez. Yeah, I know. There are more left maybe, to say. Right there. Maybe Vettel. Um, just but Vettel's more up. unlucky, wasn't he? We didn't really talk about him. Oh, but... He's completely anonymous. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe the car, maybe the car got shafted by the new regulations more than we thought it would already, um, and and you know the car is useless. But the fact that the fact that stroll is the fact that stroll is so outperforming Vettel is just embarrassing. Okay, he was fair. closer. Yeah, he was closer this weekend. Come on though. Maybe you can I say mean... stroll's more familiar in the car, but I mean. If Vettel wants to go down like an all-time great driver, 
Because I think that ship has sailed. That ship, <laughs> that ship is long gone, mate. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. But, but I mean, like, even even a top ten driver of all time, you know, you could probably say that that if Stroll's dad didn't own the team, then Stroll no longer be in F1, given the kind of life cycles we've seen the drivers recently. And as a result, you know, Vettel needs to beat him. It's his teammate. Well, I think about it in terms of Stroll. Like he has, he's an awesome podium winner. You know, something that you can't do for Nico Hulkenberg, and look how long he stayed around. So there's, a, there's an argument to say, look, Lance Roll isn't as bad, I think, as he got labelled for, really, when he first joined the sport. He was labelled as this pay driver. But people very quickly forget that, you know, this guy was part of the Ferrari Driver Academy until he decided to say, fuck you, Ferrari, I'm going to go and race form- in Formula One for Williams. And he has the, the junior pedigree to back it up. And we, he's shown on multiple occasions that he does have the speed, although he has done it in very short snippets, which is kind of the issue. But, you know, I guess this is this is the year which Lance Doll has to make the leap from showing that he has the speed occasionally to, you know, to show him he can do a consistent job. And in all fairness to him, he's doing that, you know, in the points twice with a car that really shouldn't be, that should be really struggling to, for a single point and battling it out with, you know, the Alpines, the Alphas and the Alfa Romeos. And he's doing the job. So I think it's all good to stroll. He's doing a very good job. And Vettel, give him a bit more time then we can, you know, put a hammer down on him. Yeah, I think Vettel, uh, sorry, Stroll, he's proving, you know, he's, he's got a little bit of a wet weather resume building up. You know, he did well in Istanbul last year and he, he did well today. So... You know, good on him, I guess. Um, the Vettel being like a great driver, that ship has has long, long, long gone. It literally it sailed off like he sailed off the Hockenheim track. And I'm sorry what? to make that joke. <laughs> Maybe that's the moment it did. Maybe that's the moment it but, did. I mean, he aquaplaned out of the greatest of all time discussion. <laughs> Would you say the top 10 driver of all time, Lawrence? Um, uh, top 10 is to ask Amazon, but and probably not otherwise else. I don't know. Maybe. I don't think. I mean, I I don't think he's top fifteen, but I'm more skeptical of Vettel than other people. So I fully acknowledge I'm biased. Did you, like, I I posted on the group there was that list of this AI created that list of the fastest yeah, drivers. Yeah, AI, yeah. And like Fisichella was seventh or something, which I thought was <laughs> plain and utter joke. Giancarlo, what a legend. Um, but yeah. Uh, sorry, Vettel, man. I mean, it'd be really sad if he just has another just horrible season. Can um, you think off the top of your head? But oh my god, Zach! For the listeners, Zach's changed his background to Vettel's yeah, crash at Hockenheim. He did, he did that last time though. I mean, he's just he's just rubbing it in again. Okay, before your... we finish, let's have a nice brief before we preview Portimao. Let's have a brief, brief brainstorming historical session. Can you think off the top of your head of nine drivers or nine or ten drivers that are that are higher than Vettel in F1 history? So I'd say Senna, Prost. Schumacher, Hamilton, easily four, just on top. Oh, I'd probably Fangio. say, I'd probably say Fangio. Yeah. I'd probably say oh, Jim Clark. Prost. Yeah, I said Prost, Jim Clark. Prost. Would you say Jackie Stewart? Uh, you see, that's why you're kind of getting into kind of the the maybes. Louder. Louder, yeah. I'd say louder. I'd probably louder. also say, I'd probably also say. Eh. Hakkinen, no. yes, I'd say Hakkinen. Alonso, Alonso, yeah. Alonso for sure because of how unlucky he was. That's nine. 
The battle number Hunt, 10. maybe? Sorry? Nah, Hunt. Hunt. Hunt was a one-season no, one. No, one title, and that was because Louder crashed. Just because you're played by Chris Hemsworth doesn't make you <laughs> a great F1 driver. Um, no, but I, I, I mean, either way, I'd definitely put Sterling Moss ahead. Yeah. Oh, that's, okay. That's now. Um, like, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's sure. difficult. But yeah, no. Sorry, that's just a nice. I know the fact the fans, the our fans, enjoy that kind of discussion. So I thought I'd put it in for them. Yeah. Zach, Zach, you didn't give your clown of the day. Um. And, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't for a second. I had some background noise behind me, so no I thought worries. I won't interrupt you guys. Uh, I was actually going to say Valtteri Bottas, not because of necessarily the accident, but the pace. If you, if just, you just being just bad. Like if you take the thirty, the first thirty laps, he was in possibly either the fastest or the second fastest car, and he couldn't be up higher than what eighth, which is where yeah. he started. That's poor. Qualifying that is as really, well, really poor. So I, I think I'm going to give that to Valtteri on that one, and uh, you know I, I completely accept that he wasn't completely to blame for the accident, and I'm not factoring the accident into that. Um, but you would expect a car of that pedigree to be a lot higher up the rankings and the but order that it was. how many times can you clown on a guy when we know he's not going to perform well in the wet? <laughs> we just, it's just, it's like, it's like clowning on like, you know, a kid for, for drawing on the wall. Like the kid is going to draw on the wall every time. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. Valtteri will oh, appreciate that comparison. <laughs> uh, but I, I think though, you know, when was the last time we saw Williams overtake or attempt to overtake a Mercedes? Realistically, I mean, it was probably what 2016, probably. At the start, before this current set of rules. That's probably it, wasn't it? Oh, that's yeah. 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 But, you know, was it was Bottas and Bassett stormed through? Yeah, yeah. That was. Yeah, crazy. I was there. It was amazing. It was amazing to see that. Um, I think the point is, if if Bottas is not able to keep a Williams a bay if he's under attack from a Williams then you are a clown quite honestly because you're in the second fastest car or the fastest car depending on how you look at it and you can't keep this either the slowest car or the second slowest car behind you it's Serious not a good look. question do you think Bottas is the worst wet weather driver on the grid yeah because didn't he have all those spins was it in Turkey had six yes. he had like eight spins this isn't like a one time thing he's just bad <laughs> It's a bit astonishing yeah. given that he's, he's done rallying as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you'd say it's between him and... Uh, and oh, well, I was going to say possibly Vettel, but that might be a bit unfair. Vettel won in, was it, 08 in Italy in the wet as well. So exactly, that's the one thing that, that makes really. me think. Yeah. yeah, but that's like saying on your like CV that you're a good team player because you're part of one team 15 years ago. That's not yeah, like... but see, Bottas doesn't even have that, though, does he? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's quite embarrassing, to be honest. Like, I, I think we have a good collection of mugs in our Clown of the Day uh, award. So let's just... Li- I mean, Mazepin would just be glad that he wasn't part of the nomination. I mean, it's good on you, mate. It's like, it's exactly what you're saying, Sachin. We're, we can't clown him anymore because that would just be basically like bullying, uh, you know, a kid. Um, anyway, next race... We have to wait another two weeks. Really, just I wanted the double header, but that's happening in a few weeks. Um, you can watch IndyCar racing if you want racing next week. Oh God! Don't get me started on American sport. I really don't want to get into this. <laughs> um, anyway, do you expect Red Bull to be the fastest car again with those high-speed 
uh, corners and the undulations changes in 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 height throughout yeah. the track yes yeah for sure i mean i think this is the kind of track that suits them um it's ordinarily a track you'd back mercedes on however because you know even this season because red bull couldn't use the full throttle of the renault engine but but um red bulls do seem sorry the I honda mean, engine any of the renault engine honda engine rather and red bull won't really have an opportunity to use much of it at portman but but they do seem to have a downforce advantage this year and that could prove telling uh, interestingly i don't think we really saw any updates from the two from red bull or from mercedes this uh weekend even though it's been three weeks so you know the longer it goes the more likely the updates are going to come even though I, I saw an article this morning saying that mercedes updates may be delayed because of bottas shunt and then having to make all the parts of building a car rather than an update so we may be waiting a bit longer and if so we probably expect red bull to take it mm, yeah um hopefully we get something like last year i don't think the teams will make the same mistake with tire warm-up do you like do you know about the state of the track is it as green as it was last year i don't know um i motor gp ran this weekend uh, but they don't really have too much of an effect on the rubber level because you know they're running just one yeah. single line <laughs> compared to you know Tiny needs to yeah. like a whole patch of rubber to do something but yeah i don't know exactly what's happened there i know they made a few changes for the motor gp i don't think they'll last for the track changes for motor gp particularly to the pit lane but they probably won't be there for f1 so i expect it to be the same more or less okay okay right thank you guys for joining me um we will be back in a couple weeks to uh talk about portugal see you guys bye bye bye